Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday the 19th of October. Tom Tilly back with you after a bit of a holiday. A lot of work on my book, but I did squeeze in a whole lot of surfing as well. Hello, Annika Smethurst. Good to be with you this morning, Tom. Hope it wasn't too difficult to get up this morning. <laughs> yeah, sleeping in has been good, but um, it's time for the news now. Um, today on The Briefing, we're going to go deep on a very interesting topic have you heard of conspiratorialism, Annika? Uh, a little bit familiar with it, but I wouldn't say I was an expert, Tom. Yeah, so part uh, spiritualism, part conspiracy. It's an algorithm playing at our brains and it's handcuffing us to our worst human behaviours. Yeah, you'll find out what's concerning about this movement in just a moment. First, let's get to the big news of the day. After more than 100 days in lockdown, from today, 5 million people in Melbourne finally get a few more of their freedoms back. Yeah, a few more of their freedoms. Premier Dan Andrews announced the changes yesterday. There will be no time limit on leaving your home for exercise or for socialising. The travel distance from your home will move from 5 kilometres to 25 kilometres. Outdoor gatherings will increase to 10 people from two households. While cafes and restaurants in regional Victoria will be able to double the number of patrons from today... Hospitality venues in Melbourne will have to wait for the next step on November 2. Yeah, so that's after the grand final. Uh, From then, retail will open back up and restaurants can have up to 20 people inside and 50 people outside. Uh, The four reasons to leave home will also be dumped and two home visitors will be allowed. The CEO of the Australian Hotels Association, Steve Ferguson, who we've had on the briefing before, says it makes no sense to wait another two weeks. New South Wales and Victoria have similar rolling seven-day averages and caseloads. Sydney is open for business, but Melbourne is shut. Yeah, and I think that's the comparison a lot of people will be making now. Why haven't you know Melbourne moved further, given the experience in Sydney? And as I mentioned, it, the pubs won't be open for the AFL Grand Final weekend. Um, I imagine that's deliberate because a lot of Melbourne people will be getting out and about then. It will mean, Annika, they could be open for the Melbourne Cup, though. Yeah, and just the day before, actually, which could be a bit of a risk because I'm sure Melburnians will want to get out and have a party. Yeah, and speaking of the AFL, uh, the Brownlow Medal was awarded last night to 27-year-old Lockie Neal. Yeah, he's the Brisbane Lions star who raced out to a huge lead quite early and polled 31 votes, but... This wasn't a normal season, so he probably could have reached 40 in a normal season. Super exciting. And three days into the long-awaited trans-Tasman travel bubble, and it's already been burst. Well, it depends which way you look at it. Look, yes, so far close to 80 Kiwis have flown into Victoria, WA and Tasmania, which weren't part of the bubble. More travellers are expected in the coming days, but... My theory is if they want to go there, Tom, they're welcome <laughs> to go there. I mean, they then have to go into quarantine, right? That's what exactly. those twenty yeah, those twenty-three people in WA have had to do that at their own expense. Here's the Premier Mark McGowan from WA. We would like further assistance from the Commonwealth, in particular, about making sure that those people who come are on aircraft into WA that we get proper manifests and proper advice as to those people that are coming so we can deal with these situations. Look, a further 55 got into Victoria. Uh, I guess getting out of Victoria is going to be the problem, while at least four got into Tasmania. Yeah, so I guess, you know, those people can just go into quarantine in those states where you have to do that. But it seems like the real tension here is this sort of different approach from the the states to the federal government. I think they wanted to be told just so they knew who was coming into their state. Yeah, and do you think it speaks to that broader tension of Scott Morrison trying to 
push things open faster than WA, Victoria and Tasmania? Uh People in New South Wales are allowed to travel to these states. There's restrictions once you get there. So it makes sense that should someone fly in, they could also go down there. I think it's a good issue for Daniel Andrews to jump on at the moment because he's under a little bit of pressure at home. Still talking about New Zealand and Kiwi Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has been re-elected in a landslide victory. I only have two simple words. Thank you. There she is. Her caucus is meeting today after Labor's largest win in more than 50 years. Um, She was, previous to this election, having to govern with the support of the Greens and the National Party. So at the last election, she didn't have such a strong result. This strong result from the weekend means that Labor will form a majority government, which means they won't have to depend on those minor parties to get legislation through Parliament. So basically... Jacinda Ardern has more power, Annika. Yeah, and look, I'm going to say it, but there was an election in Canberra on the weekend too. (laughs) It might not have got as much attention, uh, but Labor was returned. It's a pretty Labor town here in Canberra. It's been a basically two-decade run for Labor. So Chief Minister Andrew Barr will stay in power. So two decades of Labor, is that unique to anywhere else in the country, right? Yeah, look, it's, uh, as I say, a pretty Labor city, lots of public servants here. Uh, Very small area too, quite geographically interesting in that respect. Federally, they're all Labor MPs as well. The Libs were hopeful, though, this time, thinking that after such a long time in government, they'd be able to get rid of them, but it wasn't to be. Thank you, Annika. That's it for the news of the day. Uh, It's time to get deep into conspiritualism with Jan Fran. Here's a word that I learnt very recently. Conspiritualism. (laughs) Yeah, it is a blend of two words, conspiracy and spiritualism, and it describes a strange phenomena that you might have noticed on your social media feeds, particularly during the pandemic. I know I definitely have. Yeah, this new word, conspiritualism. Yep, got it right. That's the one, conspiritualism. Um, It describes uh, wellness bloggers and influencers who've taken up some of the same causes as conspiracy theorists. Yeah, so you might have notice that both groups post about very similar issues and they might share very similar memes or the exact same memes. You know, think 5G spreads coronavirus memes or vaccines are part of a global conspiracy or the government can't be trusted. So Pete Evans is the most obvious and high-profile example. Am I fearful of COVID-19 on if I came into contact with anybody? No, I'm not. Because I believe in who I am. And my ability to stay as healthy as I can through anything. Yeah, so, you know, he's well known for his views on on health. He was paleo Pete, but now he's wading into sort of QAnon-style conspiracy theories. Uh, And that's the group that spread the theory that Hillary Clinton was part of a pedophile ring. So it seems like worlds apart from, like, you know food and wellness and that sort of stuff. But according to author Sarah Wilson, they do have quite a lot in common. Yeah, so Sarah Wilson, I guess she's what you might call a former veteran of the wellness industry. She started the hugely popular I Quit Sugar movement uh, that was more than 10 years ago. You might remember it. She's since left that all behind to basically travel the world writing books. And her latest book is called This One Wild and Precious Life, and it's about coming together in a world that is determined to keep us apart. Sarah joins us now. Sarah, welcome. Conspiritualism. The first time I actually came across that word was in an article that you had written. What is it? 
Well, it's a conflation of two terms, conspiracy theories and spiritualism, but it's also like probably the most bizarre kind of Venn diagram mashup I think we've seen in a long time. And it's literally the kind of um, conflation of or the joining together of the spiritual or wellness community that here in Australia we're all very familiar with, who tend to be kind of left-leaning, open-minded, outward-thinking types with um, the the conspiracy conspiratorial theories of conspiracy theories. Sorry, I'm now getting myself mixed up of QAnon and what we're seeing happening in the far right over in the US in particular, and they're coming together with very very similar beliefs and they're spouting the same kind of um, slogans, the same kind of ideas, and they're going down the same sort of YouTube rabbit holes and. It really happened really quickly here in Australia. I, I actually think it happened sort of halfway through the Melbourne or the Victorian lockdown mm. and um, caught on very, very fast. And I think anyone who's on Facebook or Instagram um, has come across this, has come across friends that they know who were previously posting pictures of their green smoothies and are now sort of um, sharing stuff about children being hidden in tunnels underneath Melbourne CBD um, by Daniel Andrews, you know, mm. um, a whole heap of kind of Pizzagate stuff. It's It's been a truly bizarre thing to witness. Uh, one thing I would say is I've found, I've managed to find a kind of a point of understanding and compassion here because the wellness community is predominantly motivated by trying to find truth. And for the last kind of 10 years, um, it's been a lot about exposing the vested interests of big food and big sugar, exposing the interests and, and the dangerous um, sort of behaviours of big pharma and, you know, to a certain extent what big oil and um, the fossil fuel industry has been doing. So it's a community that's been engaged in asking deeper questions and probably protesting a little against certain dictates that are dangerous, that are legitimately should be questioned. It's now parlayed over into into a new area. And I think the reason it's happening, Tom, is is that this is an incredible time of uncertainty and polarisation. Mm. And this is something that I probably, I sort of see that people not really appreciating and probably being compassionate with themselves and with each other about. Unlike, say, for instance, a world war, where there's an enemy, there's an identifiable other out there, whether it's the Nazis or the communists, you know, that we can rally around. We don't have a common enemy out there, apart from this nebulous idea of the elites, the people who have got are accumulating more and more wealth. So in a time of fear, we often need an enemy to then feel protective about ourselves and to rally around as a community and sort of have some solidarity. We don't have that at the moment. And in fact, Probably the rudest part of this is that I think there's an awareness that we are both the perpetrator and the victim. So if you think climate change, if you think, you know, the, the state of the, the the world today and the way that we've consumed and we've become more and more fragmented, we know there's no one to blame for that. We are feeling very kind of uncomfortable about the fact that there is no identifiable enemy and so we create one. Mm -hmm. And so the have and have nots 
the split between them has got larger and larger and it's gone exponential in the last couple of years. Um, And there's a real distinction between people who are really despairing and those who seem to be succeeding. And I think that's creating this need to create another right now. So I kind of get it. And when you start to delve into this kind of stuff, you go, right, I kind of can see why why it's happening. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the idea of truth because it makes sense to me that those in the wellness community and and those who are conspiracy theorists, I guess the commonality between them is that they do seek a kind of truth in in they their do. own in their own ways. But you talk about the concept of not truth but truthiness. Can you talk us through what yeah. that is? Um, again, I like to sort of play with made up words, but truthiness is when we start to get absorbed and we, um, in the notion that we're telling truth, but we're not actually taking the the time to be responsible with our fact checking and so on. So we get caught up in this idea of us versus them and the truth versus the liars, you know, and, and we create this dichotomy without actually taking responsibility for the fact that, well, maybe the truth lies somewhere in between. Um, maybe the truth truth is uncomfortable. Maybe the truth is something the scientists are telling us, but we find very hard to fathom. Um, So truthiness is something that we can get very, very attached to, rigidly attached to as a concept. And I think that that plays out most significantly in the way that we get sucked into YouTube rabbit holes predominantly. And so while we think we might be coming across truth because we're seeing the whole heap of YouTube videos saying the same thing and all our friends seem to be watching it and sharing it, um, we're not stopping to actually go, all right, how legit is that scientist? Oh, they were defunded and, you know, taken off the, um, the board um, X years ago for, for sharing ridiculous theories. Um, and so... We see certain people on Instagram and Facebook who've got massive followings who share this stuff and they they seem so emphatic and everybody sort of chimes in and so you've got this critical mass that gets behind um, this momentum going down this rabbit hole of YouTube algorithms. And as I say in that article that I wrote for The Guardian, um, it's not the truth. We haven't, these people haven't done their research, you know, and that that phrase is a QAnon phrase, do your own research. It's an algorithm playing at our brains and it's handcuffing us to our worst human behaviours. But equally, maybe our most endearing human behaviours, which is our desire to connect. And Mm. that's something I keep coming back to over and over again. And of course, in my in my latest book as well, is that really what we've got to see here, this is a fundamental disconnection. It's a polarisation that has happened. And really what we're yearning is to reconnect. And if we can see that that's, you know, to quote Rumi, you know, there's out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there's a field, you know, I'll meet you there. And that's where we need to meet. We need to find that field of commonality and stop slinging back this wrong versus right because it's so hard to establish truth from truthiness right now, fake news from the real legit stuff, you know. It's it's completely understandable, but um, we need to find a better way to, to thrash all this stuff out. So would you say Pete Evans is the sort of most obvious example of this or, or the most notable um, poster boy for this movement. And do you think he's he's strategically courting what is actually quite a huge audience rather than just a, a really fringe group? Yeah, um, I can't work that one out. Is he the poster boy? Is he the most prominent voice? Absolutely, um, in Australia anyway. Um, I can't work it out. I can't work out 
I, I like to think that he genuinely believes what he's sharing. I, I seem to I sort of look at some of the videos he does. He seems very convinced and emphatic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, he's a very charming operator and I think a lot of people are wanting to believe what he shares because it does create a sense of community. Um, he's got a manner that I think is probably far more appealing than some of the other political voices that are out there at the moment um, who seem very ignorant and, and you know, he represents a sort of a alternative way of thinking. Yeah, I think that almost kind of comes back to your point around connection. I mean, you said it yourself, Pete Evans is talking to a community of people who might feel connected to everyone else in what it is that they believe. Who might have otherwise felt isolated. Yeah, totally. Correct. So It's the same with Trump. I say that in my latest book. Mm. Yeah. Um, Trump actually rose, to, you know, in the 2016 election, he rose up and he's managed to maintain his base, although it's, of course, it has slipped significantly, because he did face-to-face stuff out in the world, did um, lots of those conventions and so on, um, and he he claimed to be a voice of, of the people um, at a time when everyone was feeling so polarised. And yeah. the thing I would say, though, in terms of um, my crit- if I have criticism, direct criticism of the wellness industry and, and what people like Pete Evans are doing, is that when you are in the public eye and all of us have trained in some capacity as a journalist, you get trained in this. You grow up through the newsrooms where it's not just um, all care and no responsibility. A certain amount of responsibility and an absolute awareness of the information that you're sharing with people is sort of part of the job. I grew up, you know, in in the newsroom, making sure I had sources for everything I put out there. And that's just not a culture that we have. And it's that's why fake news is coming about. We broadly as a community don't have moral guardrails. Now, we used to have the church that ordained a Sabbath, so we didn't burn ourselves out each week. We had <laughs> HR departments and trade unions to make sure that we weren't abused and, and so on. And we also had time, the news was sort of twice a day and we had time to have reflective thinking about behind it. We had time to absorb it and talk about it at the water cooler. We don't have these moral guardrails, these sort of things that kind of steer us through the kind of all the news and the, the, the aspects of, you know, the human experience. And so we're adrift, we're overwhelmed, and so then we go and grab at what we think is certainty whether it's Trump or Pete Evans or a conspiracy theory that with a YouTube video attached. Turn off pandemic and actually shake yourself <laughs> yes. into action. Oh, there's so, there's so much there, Sarah. Yeah, and this is all in your book and it's such a it's such a great antidote to some of the craziness that's happening around the world right now. If you need a moment of calm and a moment of clarity and a moment of, you know, positivity and hope, I think I think this is the book for you. So thank you so much for um, sharing some of it with, with us, Sarah. And um, yeah, get into the book to actually get all that depth and research and, and the journey that Sarah's been on. Fire up, guys. Thank you so much. All right, that's it for today's briefing. Thank you so much for listening. Tomorrow, are you a good saver? Do you need to be forced into saving money? Uh, that's all part of tomorrow's briefing. Have a great day. We'll catch you later. A Podcast One production.